Talking Point with Kathy Motsasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's 6 after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the Talking Point. So interestingly, on social media, at least on Twitter, I see that the Etoll's matter is trending this morning. Um, a tweet from MEC Jacob Mamabolo saying that I've noted the misleading tweet from SFM News quoting my interview with at Stephen Hrotis. All we are saying as Gauteng is that the national government will make an announcement on ETOs and we are positive it will be favorable to our position, which is public knowledge. So the MEC is saying that he has been misquoted. And yet in the interview, he very clearly said that ETOs were being scrapped. The, fire, the, the, the transport minister has come out to say that no decision has been made to scrap ETOs, um, but that a decision is imminent, you know, that a decision will be made soon. So it, it effectively looks like we have not gone anywhere. Uh, where this story is concerned. I just thought uh, it was an, an important update to actually bring you on on, on where things are because uh, that, that announcement did seem like it was rather out of the blue uh, and the MEC now seems to be backtracking in terms of his comments because in the interview, it's very clear that the MEC had said ETOs are going to be scrapped. Okay, let's take a look at this now. Human Rights Watch has released a new report on how the COVID-19 pandemic has been fueling child labor. Uh, some of the contributing factors are seen as uh, the economic impact on families and also the fact that many schools close their doors. Let's take you to Joe Becker, who is the Advocacy Director in the Children's Rights Children's Rights Division at Human Rights Watch. Uh, Joe, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you so much for your time and fee and for being available to for this interview. Of course, Joe is joining us from New York this morning. Firstly, let's speak about why you decided to actually look into uh, this matter of of child labor under the COVID nineteen pandemic. Were there specific uh, indicators that signaled that perhaps things uh, were not looking good? Well, from the very beginning of the pandemic, even Mm -hmm. in March 2020, we knew that a rise in child labor was a real danger uh, for several reasons. Uh, As you've mentioned, there's been a tremendous economic impact. Millions of families have lost jobs, they've lost income uh, because of the pandemic and the lockdown. Mm -hmm. And that creates real pressure to uh, send children to work to help meet their basic needs. And then secondly, as you mentioned, is the massive school shutdowns. Um, in most countries around the world, children have been out of school for months at a time. Many have not had access to distance learning. And so for those children, going to work often seems like a logical alternative. Are they... The third factor is... Sure, sure, sure. Sorry, go, go, go ahead, Joe. Well, yeah, and then, you know... As of today, 3.5 million people have died from the pandemic. Mm. And hundreds of thousands of children have been left without one or both parents. And that leaves them often um, needing needing to support themselves. So uh, that's an additional factor is children being orphaned and having to take care of themselves. And then finally, um, you know, restrictions have meant that child labor enforcement has been down, Um, you know, 
inspectors have not been out looking for child labor. Uh, there's less enforcement, and as a consequence, employers feel less pressure to comply with the law. So all of these factors have led to a spike. Mm. Of course, the, the situation that many children find themselves in is that if they don't work, they don't eat. Exactly. The title of our report is, I Must Work to Eat, and that was a quote from one of the children that we, we interviewed. And that's the conundrum is that, you know, um, children said that they often went to work out of, out of hunger. We, we interviewed over 80 children in Ghana, Uganda, and Nepal. Mm. And virtually every child said that their family had been negatively impacted economically by the pandemic and that many of their parents were struggling to pay for food, to pay for housing. Um, children were going hungry. And in some cases, children said that their parents were going into debt, and they felt like they really had no other choice. Um, But one thing that's really important is that we believe child labor is not inevitable with this pandemic. There are actions that governments can do to prevent uh, children from being exploited uh, Mm. for their labor. And and we'll get to some of those interventions in in a moment, Joe. Sorry, we'll get to those interventions in a moment. Uh, uh, Perhaps just in terms of the interviews that you are conducting with these children, uh, give us uh, just some of the circumstances under which they were found and the kind of labor uh, that they were involved in. Of course. Um, the children we interviewed, some were as young as eight years old. They were working in a range of um, different industries. They worked in brick kilns and carpet factories in Nepal. They worked in gold mines and stone quarries, uh, fisheries and agriculture. Some worked as mechanics or in construction. Others sold items on the street, such as masks or brooms or, or food. So, you know, all kinds of different circumstances. And many of the children described work that was clearly hazardous. Uh, so, for example, children crushing stones and stone quarries and rocks flying and injuring themselves or getting sharp particles in their eyes, um, children carrying heavy loads. We, we talked with one boy who uh, was working at a construction site, and he was carrying heavy bags of cement up and down four flights of stairs for 10 hours a day. Mm. Um, and uh, in Ghana and Uganda, we talked to a number of children who were working at gold mining sites. So they were carrying heavy bags of ore. They were breathing in dust and fumes from processing machines. And one thing that was really concerning is that many of them were handling mercury, which is very toxic. It's used to extract gold from ore, and it can cause brain damage. And so we were very worried about that. Mm. Did you find um, while you were interviewing them that there was a particular reason why Ghana, Nepal, and, and Uganda seemed to be the, some of the main culprits when it came to, to this behavior? Well, they're certainly not the, the main culprits. But we chose those three countries because each of them has actually made significant progress in the last few decades in reducing child labor and reducing poverty. And all three of them have agreed to be what's called a pathfinder country. They've made a 
explicit agreement to accelerate their efforts to end child labor. Mm. So they are committed to this issue, but at the same time, we feel like they're not taking all the actions that they could to to prevent the rise of child labor in the light of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I suppose the the other thing is that when when children are in such a desperate and vulnerable situation, it's not like they're entering that labor market effectively with any kind of rights being enforced because just by virtue of them being there, uh, you know, there's certain rights that have been broken. What does then that do for how much they are paid and if they get paid at all? Exactly. Um, Children are being exploited. There's no question about it. The vast majority of the children we interviewed were being paid very little. I remember one girl in Uganda, uh, she was 12 years old. Her uh, father was a night watchman and had had lost his job. And so she went to work to help support the family. Mm -hmm. She spent seven hours a day at this stone quarry crushing rocks and her salary was um, barely a dollar a week. Mm-hmm. And even that, she said sometimes her employer would pay her less if he wasn't happy with the size of the stones that she was crushing. So children working for very little money, just you know, a dollar or two dollars, sometimes they said that they would be working full time and still not be able to buy enough food and that they were still going, going hungry. And we also heard, you know, cases of employers delaying payment to children or paying mm-hmm. less than that was promised or coming up with excuses for reducing their pay, you know, saying, oh, we have to, to dock you because you, you know, we didn't see you, you know, working hard enough or, you know, you were, you were, work, you were walking too slow, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and, you know, the, many of the children, you know, say, you know, even how little the money is, I, I have no choice. I have to work. Mm. You, you know, you've spoken about how some parents, of course, would have been home and been left jobless due to the pandemic. But a part of me is also just thinking, you know, if if, if this job can be done by a, a young child, it can also be done by an adult. Are these children, or at least some of them, working with the approval of, of their parents? Yes, um, generally, yes. Sometimes the children have taken the decision on their own to go to work because they see how difficult the situation is at home. Other times their parents have encouraged them to to look for work because they feel they they need the help. Um, And, you know, certainly the, the parents are trying, but sometimes, you know, if they've lost their job or if they... You know, if they sell goods and can't get to markets because of transportation restrictions or they've lost customers mm-hmm. because of, you know, the economic downturn, um, they or if they're having to care for, you know, other children in the in the household. Uh, some of the children we talked to had parents who had been disabled or were sick. Uh, so there's lots of different circumstances that will lead children into work. Mm-hmm. What are the, what are the interventions? How how can children in this kind of position actually be supported in a meaningful way? Yeah, well, you know, one thing that your listeners should know is that before the pandemic, countries around the world were actually making extraordinary progress in reducing child labor. Between two thousand and twenty sixteen, the number of children in child labor worldwide dropped by 94 million. That was a drop of nearly 40%. It's amazing. 
Um, and so, you know, child labor is not inevitable. And one of the factors that led to this tremendous progress was that many countries started giving cash allowances, cash transfers to vulnerable families. And these are monthly stipends that allow families to meet their basic needs, to pay for their food and their housing without resorting to child labor. And there are studies that show that just a few dollars per month per child can make an extraordinary difference in reducing child labor, reducing poverty, and keeping children in school. And so, you know, our message with this report is to really call on governments to scale up their use of these cash transfers to help vulnerable families who have been hit hard by the pandemic so that their children don't resort to child labor. And uh, this will have both short-term and long-term benefits for, for countries everywhere. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue our conversation with Joe Becker, who is the Advocacy Director in the Children's Rights Division at Human Rights Watch. And um, it's it's edging towards 20 past 11. So let's just take a quick break. After the break, I'll also ask her about, you know, the uh, impact of school closures and how that has ultimately affected um, the ability of, of children remaining in schools. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.9 FM in Port Shepston. It's 22 after 11 o'clock. You're live on The Talking Point, and we're going to continue our conversation with Joe Baker, who is the Advocacy Director in the Children's Rights Division at Human Rights Watch. And we're looking at the rise of child labor under the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, right now we've been discussing what has been seen in uh, Ghana, Uganda and Nepal. But I'm just thinking about our own local context and the kind of hunger that we have reported on, not just from communities, from families, including young children. Uh, the education department is talking about how young some young people have not been able to return to school and some could well be lost to the schooling system for some time to come. And how are we a- assisting those children in in our communities you know do we have situations where young children are being forced to resort to actually uh, go go and work what have you seen where this practice is concerned in your communities i'd really love to hear from you on the subject because i know that south africa is not removed from the experience of 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 the increase in child labor joe i just i just want to talk about the impact of school closure during during the lockdowns and what the real effect of that was, especially where you have child-headed households, because often those become a neglected part of our society. And when you had systems completely shut down, where uh, you know social services weren't reaching people in the way that they would ordinarily, many of these children were left in the lurch. Exactly. Globally, 1.4 billion children were shut out of schools when schools closed to slow the spread of COVID-19. And even as of January in this year, more than half of the world's children were still uh, mostly out of school. Um, 
the UN estimates that a third of children have no access to uh, distance learning, largely because of lack of internet access or not having computers or mobile devices. Mm. And so many of those children went to work because they, you know, had felt like they had little alternatives. Um, and as you say, even, you know, once children drop out or once they're out of school, the longer they're out, the less likely it is that they will go back. UNICEF estimates that there are probably 24 million children who have already dropped out for good. Mm. And especially once they start working, you know, it may be, you know, really difficult for, for them to, to stop if the family is depending on their, on their mm. income. Mm. So, you know, as schools reopen, um, we really want to see back-to-school campaigns with broad outreach to bring marginalized children back into the classroom and, you know, reaching out to working children to try and make sure that they can, can return. Mm. And one thing that's really important is that that means removing financial barriers that may be in the way. When, when we interviewed children in Uganda, one of the big issues was school fees. In fact, quite a few children had already dropped out of school before the pandemic because the school fees were so expensive that their families simply couldn't afford them. Now, you know, theoretically, schools are supposed to be free in Uganda, but the government is not investing enough in the school system, and so many schools are coming up with, you know, arbitrary fees that they charge themselves that are keeping a lot of children out of school. Mm. So this is a real problem in some areas. Of course, it does. It does become difficult when going to school and and working are seen as as a trade off, right? That I either have to sacrifice my family surviving, or getting get getting a, an education, which is an incredibly unfair position for a young child to find themselves in. Exactly. Of the children that we interviewed, many of them were working quite long hours during lockdowns, you know, when, when there were restrictions in place and when they were out of school. And then once schools reopened, many of them started going back to class, but they also continued working because they felt that their family still needed their income. Mm. But oftentimes that set up a, a conflict. The children said that they, you know, their work hours meant that they didn't have enough time to finish their schoolwork or that they were actually attending school erratically because of their, their work demands. And so that sets up, you know, uh, a situation where children are not going to succeed. And you really want children to go back to school and be able to focus on their studies and, and really uh, do well so that they can have better jobs in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, I'm going to ask you just to stay on the line. Let me welcome to the conversation uh, Louise Nell. She's one of our callers, or Louis Nell, apologies, calling us from Cape Town. Louis, good morning to you. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Uh, like always, love your show. Uh, we've chatted before. I think the last time I phoned in, we had a, a conversation around the unions. Oh, um, yes, 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 yes. I think yes. I remember you, Louis. Yes, go for it. Yes. Kathy, um, yeah, let's first of all, first of all um, I'm going to say something that most probably will not make sense at all. Mm. Uh, but I don't think that South Africa and the history of this country um, have ever been in a better position than what we are right now. Um, and uh, it, it actually binds in quite well now with, with this conversation that you're currently having about child labor and so forth and so forth. Um, just to bring it all together, you know, if you look at all the very, very successful entrepreneurs and you ask them when they started, 
uh, when they came up with their ideas. They were actually quite young um, mm. when they started. Um, we've become a society um, where we've been bombarded so much by um, media um, of telling you who and what you should be. Um, and um, we've, 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 we've actually just come to a place where we realize that we, 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 we're not supposed to work for anything. We're supposed to receive everything. And I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm against child labor, um, that it's, it's being exploited um, and, and it's not right. But in certain circumstances, it actually builds a hell of a lot of character. Um, I, I remember I, I worked in, in mowing uh, lawns and, and um, doing gardening. And, mm. and I started, I bought my first rangefinder and, and first World War helmet when I was six years old. Um, but it it, 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 mm-hmm. it gave me respect for 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 my parents. It gave me respect for my elders of what they had to go through. So I think that there's a very fine line between teaching um, by putting them to work and actually mm-hmm. um, sending them out and saying, "Now you 12 years old, now you have to provide for the family." Because you know there's there, there's also a fine line there, and I understand everything that this this whole program is about that 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 we cannot we cannot just it, it, it's it's mm-hmm. actually wrong but it's not and 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 and, and 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 louis just 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 so that we're clear so when you were cutting people's lawns were you still going to school kathy that's the thing mm. um yes yes i was i was still in school mm. uh, um i was not taken out of school and mm. i realized that kids nowadays are been taken out of school, which is, which is not right, uh, and and I agree with that. Mm. Um, that, that. That shouldn't really happen. Mm, mm. But um, I think somewhere somewhere there there is a, a very good balance uh, where we we need to educate our children, um, and, and 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 we need to look after children's rights. Don't get me wrong, but um, putting kids to work also teaches them. Um, some values that we cannot get in the classrooms. Um, I don't know if you understand what I, I'm I, saying. I, I understand you completely, Louis. I understand you completely. Um, let me do this. Uh, thanks so much for calling in, Louis Nell there. And I think it's an important point that, that Louis is raising, uh, but perhaps not fully in the context of, of what we are discussing. But I'll get Joe's views in a moment. It's Let me go to Luanda Maume, who's standing by with your latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, thanks for that, uh, Luanda. So let's continue the conversation with Joe Baker. Joe, uh, you've heard what uh, Louis was saying there uh, in terms of instilling a culture of working in children. But like he was saying, there, there is a difference between completely exploiting children for their labor, denying them of their right to actually get educated versus, you know, making sure that your child does have the sense of responsibility and and understands the value of of work. Yeah, Louis makes an excellent point. Uh, We do want to distinguish between acceptable forms of child work and what we call child labor. So, um, you know, for many children, there are forms of work that, that do build character, that are helpful, that, um, you know, build their skills and, and resilience. 
Um, but when we talk about child labor, we're talking about children who are working long hours when they're young uh, that interferes with their schooling or doing work that's hazardous or that puts their health and their safety at risk. And that's what we don't want to see. Mm. Um, the, the, the labor that's uh, really sacrificing children's future, um, that's interfering with their schooling. But, um, you know, certainly there are, you know, many people who have been successful in life who can say, well, I started work very young, it's not so bad. But the studies show that the younger children enter the workforce, the less likely they are to finish schooling, the lower their wages are going to be later in life, uh, the worse their health outcomes, and it just perpetuates generational cycles of poverty. So if we can interrupt these cycles, you know, children and societies are going to be much better off. All right. Joe, let me thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show today. Joe Baker is an advocacy director at the Children's Rights Division with Human Rights Watch. And we've been talking about the issue of child labor that has seemingly been fueled by uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns. Anonymous and Peter Marisberg says... um, Hi, Kathy. I worked after school and even during holidays uh, for one rand a week in 1966, picking up nuts and bolts. Today, when I tell people they cannot believe it, uh, these those days we were not allowed to idle at home. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Anonymous, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, you know. Uh, I mean, I think I grew up in, in a family with a similar culture. My grandmother over the school holidays, you went to my grandmother's house and she found you sitting around just sitting around like what do you mean you're sitting around there's no time for sitting around you know she would absolutely always find something for you to do um i i used to get away with just you know going to my collecting all my my grandfather's old reader's digests and encyclopedias and i'll say no i'm studying i'm, I'm studying yeah, those are the good old days. I'd find Reader's Digest from like 1993. And I, because I was pretending to read it, then I actually had to start reading it because it was the only way to get out of the work that was waiting outside, which included herding the cows. So you see, uh, they, they is, there is a balance to do it. I think the difference is that, you know, you were still going to school um, and whatever you were doing was under the... The, the guise or the watch of a guardian, whereas many of these youngsters don't have that experience. All right, let me take a quick break. When we come back, we're in conversation with the company's tribunal.